tuning in to our Neighborhood Church podcast. Join us on Sunday at any of our locations. To learn more about our church, visit neighborhoodchurch.com or download our church app. Now, now you can really hear me. I didn't say anything important anyway. (laughs) Now I'm going to. (laughs) All right. Let's just take a moment to uh, invite the Lord to inhabit his word. Lord, we we know that uh, without the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't really understand your word or take it into our lives and obey it. So we we pray for that. We pray down your power among us, your your help, your enlightenment, and uh, fill us with your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to start out with uh, reading the scripture passage this morning. Um, it wouldn't have to be read right at the beginning, but it's been, that was my habit for 40 years. <laughs> so habits die hard, right? <clears throat> so we'll start with the scripture. Uh, Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees him will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Years ago, uh, I took one of my daughters, uh, each, each of the three, this happened, and, but, but I remember this one time, uh, out to buy a used car at a certain point. Wanted to get them a car, right? They, uh, they wanted wheels. Dad, I need wheels. You know, okay, we're going to get you wheels, mainly because we don't want you to crash our car. <laughs> so I took her out. And we, we started looking around, and there was one car that looked pretty good on the outside, a little bit lower price, and, uh, and I thought, maybe this is it. And so I went to the salesman, and I said, you know, could, could we test drive this car? And he said, oh, he says, you, that is a great car and a great buy, and he says, you don't even need to test drive it. You better grab it <laughs> before somebody else does. <laughs> well... I insisted because I'm a test drive person. That's how I buy a car. There's no way I'd ever buy a car that I'd not drive first. 
that's just the way it is. Old fashioned, I guess, right? So we test drove the car, we got in, and he didn't come with us. He said, I'll, I'll just stay here, you, you'll be all right. But he, he knew something <laughs> that I didn't know, <laughs> you see. So we started it up and then we, we put it in, in, in gear, you know, automatic transmission, and it started to drive away. The problem is it won't get out of first gear. It's stuck. Well, that's because the, I know that. I know that little thing going on, right? That means your transmission is shot. <laughs> and it will cost you thousands of dollars to get that baby overhauled. That's why the car was just a little bit lower price, but not low enough. Honestly, the cost of the transmission repair would have been more than the car is worth in the blue book. And this guy... I think he knew all about that, you see. And, and this is the kind of guy that gives used car salesmen a bad name, right? Well, we found another car later. <laughs> it worked out fine. Did you ever get the impression sometimes, maybe you, you, in TV you come across a Christian station or something or some Christian uh, uh, TV preacher did you ever get the feeling sometimes that Christian evangelists, at least some of them, are like that used car salesman? I mean, they tell you all about the benefits of accepting Jesus as your savior. You'll go to heaven when you die. You'll have peace and joy and prosperity in life. You'll never want for anything. But they never mention the costs or the sacrifices that are involved in being a Christian. Jesus was not that kind of salesman. He was not. In our passage for today, he says we have to hate our family, count the cost, and take up a cross to follow him. Jesus, what are you trying to do? Chase everyone away? No, he just wants to be honest with us right up front there are some serious costs to being a Christian. If we don't see that, we might make a false start based on a false faith and then give up when things get tough and then we'll be very disillusioned and people around us will too. Besides, Jesus wants serious disciples, not fair-weather friends. When I was 24 years old, I was not a Christian. I'd been brought up in a Christian home. I turned on it. Uh, the church that I went to uh, turned me off. And so I didn't want to have anything to do with it. But at some point, my life had gone on a deep dive and, and it was just a mess. Uh, I, I was struggling with substance abuse. I had lots of anger and hatred in my life. And, uh, and my relationships were just awful at every level, parents, friends, everybody, just bad relationships. About that time, I was visiting my parents for uh, a weekend, and uh, they had a missionary staying with them, a missionary from Operation Mobilization, which uh, I think one of the people we support here in the church is from that. His name was Paul. That's a good name for a missionary, right? <laughs> and. Uh, 
they asked me, would you take Paul down to Valley Forge National Park, which was about two miles from where we lived. You're a history buff. You can tell them all about this stuff, right? Like, yeah, that's cool. You know. So, all right, so we drive on down. And I'm showing them, there's George Washington's headquarters here. And oh, over here, this is, the, this is the, uh, the hut that these guys had to sleep in. Check it out, isn't too nice, you know? But that's what the guys, uh, the, the troops had to sleep in, you know? And I'm showing them all this stuff. And at some point, I just turn to him and I say, Paul, I've been thinking about asking Jesus into my life. You know, and he smiled. And I said, there's just two things about Christianity that I don't like. I remember now what one of them was. I don't remember the other one. Um, so, and one of the, the, the one I remember is this thing of carrying your cross. I didn't like that. That didn't sound good to me. Who wants to carry a cross? You know, that, that's no good. And uh, he just looked at me and he said, you're going to have to accept the things you don't like because you come to Jesus on his terms, not on your terms. Oof. Well, I'll tell you, that put me off a little bit. And uh, for, uh, for about two weeks, I kept thinking about it and thinking about it. And then I decided, yeah, I want to I wanna accept him as my Lord and Savior. That's what I want. And I have never regretted it. So let's take a closer look at our passage. Family was very important in the Jewish culture of that day. Well, I, I think it's very important for most of us here today too, right? But, you know, family can place some real demands on us. And in verse 25 and 26, Jesus is basically saying that when there is a conflict between the demands your family puts on you and the call of Jesus, you have to put Jesus first. In fact, our love and loyalty to Jesus must be so much greater that our love for family looks like hate by comparison. That's the point of what he's saying here. We must be willing to give up family even if necessary. Even to give up our own life too. If we have to in order to follow Jesus. Does it ever come to that? Yes. Yes, it does sometimes. Even in our country, I have known, I, have, I had some Jewish friends who came to Jesus as their Messiah and their family disowned them. They just said bluntly, if you do go through with this, you are no longer alive as far as we're concerned. You died, you're buried, you're gone. We don't want to see you ever again. They had to make that choice. And the remarkable thing is that they did and that they, they became some of the best Christians I've ever met. Now in verse 28 to 32, Jesus tells two parables, I guess you could call them, that have to do with counting the cost. Both have to do with starting a project without thinking about how much it would take to complete it. Jesus wants us to consider the costs of serving him. 
What are some of those costs? Well, I think the first cost is our own agenda, okay? Because we have an agenda in life. We come into it. It's, it's natural. It's a lot of it is our parents kind of told us things and, and so on, and they want to, I want you to be a doctor, <laughs> right? Or something like that. We have that agenda. And when we come to Jesus, we have to surrender it. Give it to him. His agenda is what is going to rule our life from now on. We may have to also surrender our favorite sins. We may have to surrender them over and over again. We certainly will have to surrender our self-righteousness. There's no room for that at the foot of the cross. We will have to surrender our money at times as the Spirit will lead us to give for many great causes for the kingdom of God. We may have to surrender our reputation. We may have to give up some of our friendships because some people are going to decide they really don't think we're much fun anymore. And there are many, many other costs we could go on. My dad had something that he had to surrender one time, and I I saw this. When I was 14 years old, dad had a job that just a couple years before that, he had gotten this job, and, and it was what he wanted. He was going to be the vice president of finance of a corporation. Wow, that was the step up he wanted. And his salary was doubled. Oh my goodness, he loved it. This was wonderful. But one day, his boss came to him, the boss being the guy who owned the company, came to him and he said, we're not making enough money, and therefore, what we need to do is to cook the books so we don't have to pay taxes. And he said, you're the guy that knows finance, you're a whiz at this stuff, that's what you're going to do. Well, my dad, I don't want to paint a halo around his head, he was a human being like all the rest of us, had his flaws, but one thing about him, he was as honest as the day was long, and there was no way he would cheat anyone of anything, anywhere. That was 100% against his beliefs. And so he just looked at the boss and said, I can't do it. That's not who I am, and that's not who God wants me to be. And the boss said, you will do it, or you're fired. And dad said, I'm sorry. And the boss said, you're fired, clean your desk out by the end of the day, and don't ever come back. So much for his dream job, it's gone. So much for the money he was making, that's gone. And it took him a whole year to find another job. How did the family manage? Three sons who would eat you out of house and home. (laughs) Well, God provided that year. Dad decided that he was just going to take what money he had and he was going to play the stock market. And he did that, and 
he made way more money than he had any right to make. It just didn't make sense. Or did it? God provided. It was a miracle. And the other thing that was miraculous was that I never saw a year before that where nothing wore out. I wore out shoes every year, you know? I mean, I was an active kid. I wore out sneakers, I wore out regular shoes, I wore out, and I wore out my clothes, you know? But not that year, nothing wore out. None of us had to buy anything. The cars were perfect for a whole year. Everything. The Lord took care of us. Well, let's get back to our passage. And here in verse 27, this is the part that gets really heavy, okay? Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So you see, the cross is not just the means of our redemption. It is also the way of life that we are called to live. I think that most of us like to talk about the cross of Jesus by which we are saved, right? That's not, I wouldn't say a fun thing to talk about, but it's, but it's something that gives us joy to remember it. But maybe not so much the cross that we're supposed to carry. What does it mean to take up the cross? What did the cross mean to people then? It was a, a torturous means of execution, reserved for those considered to be enemies of the Roman state. <clears throat> Terrorists, for instance, revolutionaries, rebellious slaves, or violent criminals. It was a slow, painful way to die, and it was done publicly. It was meant to terrorize the public in case they were thinking about doing any of those things that would warrant it. Step back and forget it, right? But Jesus is saying to his disciples, if you want to be my disciple, you have to accept the possibility of ending up on a cross. Ouch. You must be willing to suffer anything for the kingdom of God. You must be expendable. And that means at least two things. A willingness to suffer any personal loss for the sake of the kingdom. And secondly, dying to your self-centered life. Well, first of all, the willingness to suffer anything for Christ and his kingdom. We in the USA are fortunate to have religious freedom. We do not face martyrdom for our faith, generally speaking, though we may have to deal with some losses in life. <clears throat> but many Christians around the world are persecuted for their faith. Some every year are killed for their faith. Did you know that there were more martyrs for the Christian faith in the 20th century than there were for all the centuries combined before that? That's the truth. And the 21st century isn't any better. 
And I really believe in praying for and supporting persecuted Christian brothers and sisters around the world. I think that's important. Now, all of us need to stand up for what is right and be witnesses to the gospel. And this can result in some rejection or scorn or economic losses, maybe even violence. And at the same time, we are not to inflict suffering or death on other people. Jesus suffered and died on the cross. He did not kill anyone else. Taking up the cross also suggests a kind of death to self, a sacrificing of personal ambition and self-centered purpose. It involves submitting the whole pattern of our life to be destroyed and then rebuilt in the likeness of Jesus. It means Jesus is Lord. Such expendability is not only the path to joy, it is the root of real spiritual power. It's remarkable what a few dedicated people can do in this world. Look at what the apostles were able to do in the ancient world. This is like 12 guys that most people probably looked at and said, what a bunch of losers, <laughs> right? But they went out to win the world for Christ and they did a remarkable job by the power of the Holy Spirit. They went out and, and, and within 300 years, because of their work, the Roman world had changed its mind to the point where it said, we're now officially a Christian empire. Wow, that is a turnabout. In modern times too, there have been people who have taken the way of the cross Martin Luther King took the way of the cross and with his followers accomplished things in the political realm. It was more than political. What many people do not realize is that his was a Christian movement which was led by Christian pastors. The press won't tell you that. <laughs> it's not convenient. <clears throat> These people endured beatings and jail and killings, but they didn't fight back. And they accomplished more change than most violent revolutionaries ever did. The way of the cross is a way of winning people rather than forcing them to do what is right. Someone once asked Abraham Lincoln, how do you get rid of your enemies? And he just smiled and said, by making them friends. Yeah, seek to win them over. And that's the way of the cross, suffering if necessary, but always seeking to win over people, not to force them. Now, be, before wrapping things up here this morning in the sermon, I want to talk about two things that the way of the cross is not because I think it's possible that after listening to this sermon, you can get two, maybe a lot more, false impressions, okay? But two that I can think of. And the first of all is the idea that maybe it's all about works righteousness. Hmm? 
But the fact is we cannot earn our salvation. By grace are we saved through faith, not of ourselves, lest anyone should boast. But then saving faith, of course, involves more than intellectual assent, more than signing your name at the bottom of a creed. It means a total commitment to Jesus, no matter what the cost. Still, it's not about works righteousness. Now, the second thing that we're not talking about is asceticism, which thinks there is some virtue in spurning all pleasures and welcoming suffering. Years ago, I I had an Indian friend uh, who worked at the same place that I did. This was before I became a pastor. I was working in state government. And um, my Indian friend was a Hindu. And he used to, we used to talk about spiritual things back and forth. And he used to talk about this guru that he knew in India who slept on a bed of nails. What? (laughs) Slept on a bed of nails. And I said, what's the point? Then I thought to myself, well, there's probably a lot of points. (laughs) Forgive the pun. There's no virtue in being miserable. So you'll be happy to know you don't have to sleep on a bed of nails. (laughs) You know, Jesus did not want to suffer on the cross. He was not just eager and, oh, I can't wait. In fact, he asked God to take this from him in the Garden of Gethsemane. But then he realized it was, after all, the will of the Father that he should die for our sins. There was a great purpose in it. He did not suffer to show us how holy he was or how tough or anything else. He died to reconcile us to God. What greater purpose can there be than that? So asceticism, no. That's not what it's about. Suffering when you have to, yes. But but not just for the sake of suffering. Now, there's one more thing that needs to be said before we say amen. (laughs) Bearing the cross and counting the cross and counting the cost seem kind of dreary, maybe, you know, a, a little bit depressing. You know, when I first got the assignment of this text, I thought, oh. (laughs) this is going to be popular right (laughs) people won't even want to look at me after this right (laughs) Uh, but it might seem dreary and depressing at first until we read Mark 10 29 and 30 you can look that up if you want in your Bible we're not going to put that up here and I'm going to read it to you and the situation was that Peter had just said to Jesus after Jesus talked about taking up the cross and everything, he just said, we have left everything to follow you. And Jesus responded in this way. He says, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and in the age to come, eternal life. 
Now, when you see it in that light, that changes everything, doesn't it? Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus didn't mess around with us like some salesman, that, that he just told the truth right up front. He was honest that there may be costs in following him. There will be costs and there are sacrifices for all of us. We thank you that he said that. And many of us, perhaps all of us, came into the faith realizing that that's the case. So we thank you, Lord. And Lord, today, we want to either commit our lives to you as Jesus has invited us to do or to recommit our lives to you because we know that I know how it works with me that I, I say, yes, Lord, I, I give up everything for you and the next moment, whatever I put on the altar, I sneak back in and take it back. But Lord, today, we want to recommit ourselves to you and we pray for your help in doing that and then living up to it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Mm -hmm.